Hello and welcome to the Renwick Centre podcast. This week we speak to Bronwyn Scott, an orientation and mobility specialist about O&M for infants and toddlers. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to today's Renwick Centre podcast. My name is Trudy Smith. I'm the manager of continuing professional education at the RIDBC Renwick Centre. Today we are joined by Bronwyn Scott, someone that I hold very high regard for her knowledge base and Bronwyn's going to introduce herself to us now. Thanks, Trudy, and thanks for that compliment. My pleasure. Uh, yes, so my name's Bronwyn Scott, um, and I'm an orientation and mobility specialist. I've worked in the field now for well over 20 years, so it feels like a long time. Um, a bit about my background, I started over in Western Australia, um, starting back in 1987 as an O&M specialist. Uh, but I've worked in New South Wales, in Victoria, and also in the UK for some different agencies across, across the years. Uh, and more recently, I now work as an independent provider of mobility services within the NDIS system. Um, I've done a doctorate in education, which was focusing on early childhood orientation and mobility. So I also do some teaching here at the Rennick Centre in conjunction with Macquarie University. Um, mostly working with educators or allied health professionals who want to move into that disability sector and work with people with vision impairment. Great. And we've been talking about this O&M thing. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means? Yes, we'd like to use the acronym of O&M. So O&M stands for Orientation and Mobility. So what that basically means, orientation is really around knowing where you are, where you're about to go and how you're going to get there. So. It's a skill that we all use every day. So if we're going somewhere new or even somewhere familiar, we'll take a few minutes to just think about, all right, I'm at home, I need to drive down to school. How am I going to go? And you learn the way. So when we're talking about O&M um, training, orientation without vision is still answering those questions, but it's around developing skills to use other senses, potentially using a mobility aid like a long cane um, and, and learning how to again, know where you are in space, where you're going to go and how you're going to get there, but without having the sense of vision to use um, for your orientation skills. And the mobility side of things is really how you actually physically move through space. So many people would be familiar with the long cane as a mobility aid. The long white cane is the most um, common mobility aid. Um, some people would also use a guide dog as a mobility aid. That tends to be uh, more adults or older children potentially in the sort of end of high school um, and some people it might be around teaching them how to use functional vision more efficiently so they may not need to use a mobility aid or they might choose to use a long cane for sometimes uh, and not other times so maybe in unfamiliar areas or if it's very glary or uh, some people have night vision issues so they might just need a cane at night so it's very much an individualized um, process around assessing someone in terms of what functional vision, if any, they have, how are they using all their other senses, and then where are they actually needing to travel as well. So sure. most of our work is done in the community, so within people's homes, in their school environments, or in their workplace, um, travelling in and out of the city on public transport, all those sorts of things. So Fair enough. So pretty diverse. with your early childhood background then, how early do we start? Well, now we start as early as possible. So we ideally would, would start to have contact with parents as soon as they know that they have a child who has a vision impairment. Um, traditionally, it didn't used to be like that. So when I first trained back in the 1980s, <laughs> um, 
it wasn't O and M wasn't generally used with children who were under the age of seven or eight. Gosh. There was um, ideas that children needed to progress through their developmental milestones before you introduced canes or you introduced any mobility skills. We've completely changed how we think about that now. So now we understand. The of yeah. other people for that yeah. long is, yeah, I think yeah. it's changed. Yes. So now there's an understanding that if you can get those foundational skills in at that developmentally appropriate age, which is those first four or five years of life, that's going to build such a strong foundation for independent mobility mm. later on. Um, so we do potentially introduce long canes as mobility aids for children, even before they're walking, which sounds Gosh. strange. Yep. Uh, but how we teach now is we will often give parents what we call a teaching cane. So we would give parents a long adult size cane, show them how to use it. And then as their child is learning to walk, the parent can be arcing the cane or using the cane and the child can then hang on to the bottom of the cane or they can be carrying their child and feeling what the cane is doing. Mm -hmm. So that's the very first beginnings of understanding that they can use something like a cane as a device to let them know if there's obstacles or steps in front of them. And that way of working works really well because it also helps parents understand the value of using a tool like a long cane. Um, and they will then usually advocate really strongly for the use of the cane uh, as well. It really takes it back to parents being the natural teachers for yes, their children yep, too, doesn't yep. it? Around that, you know, run to mummy and all of those sort of things. This Absolutely. is just next level. Yeah, and working just within those parameters of what we know is best practice in early childhood. So it's not about someone like myself as an O&M specialist coming in as the expert, taking that child for a mobility lesson. It's about talking to parents about, so what, is your what's your daily routine look like yeah. which parts of the day are challenging or which parts of the day would be useful to put in some independent skills and then we help parents to embed all those early skills so it might be just around finding their way from the bathroom to the bedroom so learning how to trail along the wall with their hand and then they start to develop that understanding of spatial relationships within the house mm -hmm. or it might be just every time they go to the car so that's when they use the cane yep. and then they put the cane in the car and they don't use it the rest of the day. Yep. So it's a way of bringing it, embedding it within someone's daily routines. So that just becomes a natural everyday part of life. And then we also know for children that the best way they learn is through the people who they spend most of their Absolutely. time with. So a lot of our role with younger children is actually more around coaching and supporting the adults in that child's life rather sure. than directly hands-on. Yeah. So would you be involved in concept development for the children yes. as well around things that are part of their daily lives? Yeah, absolutely. And concept development is something that's really important um, for orientation and mobility. So there's a few different areas that are extra critical. So one of them, the earliest ones, is really just having an awareness of body concepts and body parts and how your body moves through space. So all when we talk about concepts, it's those... The things that normally we learn through vision, through watching what adults are doing, copying your yep. siblings, copying your parents. So without vision, a lot of them, these things need to be specifically taught. So yeah, it starts off with just understanding how your body moves through space, um, encouraging that really early purposeful movement and safe movement as well is really important. So what we're, we're wanting children to be able to do is if they know their favourite toy is on the other side of the rug, that we would start teaching them 
okay, how do, would you then find that so sure. that they can move to something rather than waiting for someone to notice that yep. they want that to go they and get their toy, toy and then have to take them to it. So do you just have a collection of really noisy toys that help them to uh, orient? Often we would use, we try to use what's in the house already. So use a child's toys rather yep. than bring special things in. Sometimes we do. Uh, but yeah, so using what, what's the child's favourite things. Um, and then as, as we progress through concepts, we then directionalities are obviously a really critical one. So that's things like your left and right. Yep. Another thing that you can bring in really early. So I've been amazed at kids, you know, who are two, two or three years old who just have left and right down absolutely perfectly. I know lots of adults yeah. who don't even have that sorted yet. <laughs> exactly. But it's really around, again, coaching parents just to add a little bit more extra descriptive language into what they're talking about. So say when they're dressing their child, okay, we're going to put your sock on your left foot as you're touching the left foot. Sure. So you're talking about the body part, the direction, the left and right. And it actually doesn't take that long for all those concepts to be um, embedded. So there are obviously things that later on down the track, when you're walking down the street or you're going in complex areas, you need to know left and right and mm -hmm. other directional concepts as well. And one of the other critical ones is spatial concepts. So actually understanding what space is. So if you have never had vision, the idea, you know, how do you know what a, a room looks like or how big a room is? Um, that whole idea of what space looks like. And the only way to really understand that is actually to get in there and be moving yeah. through it. So again, if we can get sort of foundational mobility skills happening, um, it really helps consolidate all those spatial awareness and things as well, which yeah. is really important as that child gets older and then as they become an adult, that can make a big difference Absolutely. how independent they are. Do you use those things like left and right and space for helping them orient their way around the plate of food? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes we would use more of a clock face as mm -hmm. well. So some people might be familiar with the clock face directions where if you imagine a plate on the table and you would have 12 o'clock at the top and six o'clock at the bottom. Although in these digital times, sometimes people actually don't have the concept anymore <laughs> of, of what a clock face looks like. <laughs> <laughs> those of us who've been around for a while. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we might use the different um, concepts like that in terms of, yeah, very simple things just in front of you on the table, uh, the, you know, cups on the left or something else is on the right. Sure. And initially you might be just using a bit of hand under hand guidance to guide that child's hand to that object. But again, talking about, I'm gonna show you with your left hand where the cup is and with your right hand, let's reach over and find that's such on the an other important side. concept. Can you talk to us about the important, the, the difference between hand over hand and hand under hand? Yeah, so the hand under hand is really important. One thing that um, is really important with mobility, um, and we do it a lot, even in terms of how we guide people around. A lot of times, um, the students or the children that we're working with often get people grabbing their wrists or taking their hands to put them on things to get them to feel something. So when we talk about hand under hand, it's really about using the adult's hand where you put your hand under the child's hand and you put your hand on whatever it is, the plate of jelly or the, the book or whatever you the want. The spiky toy. Like, yeah, the spiky <laughs> toy. So that if that child is feeling a little unsure or they're a little bit, you know, I don't know what this is, they're reassured that you, it's safe because your hand's on it. And then sometimes they might just touch, you know, with their little finger a tiny bit. And then, nope, I don't want to touch it anymore. And over time, be fine. Other times, they'll be like, 
oh, this is fine, I can mm -hmm. feel it. It really gives the power back to them yeah, and yeah. the choice back to them, doesn't it, yeah. about how they move their body in space. Absolutely. And another important skill in O&M is, is around guiding. So people may be aware of um, guiding with an adult where an adult might hold on to someone's elbow to be guided through space. So again, we would start that as soon as children are walking. They can just hold on to your, your little finger um, and walk. And then as they get a little bit older, they'll just use the guiding technique on an adult's wrist. Mm -hmm. um, and the important thing about that is, again, they have a bit of control. They can let go of you um, if they want to. Yeah. And a question I often get asked is, you know, is it okay? I should, well, why can't I just want to hold hands or they just want to hold hands? But I've always felt that it's really important for children to learn quite young to distinguish between adults where it's appropriate to hold their mm -hmm. hand, Absolutely. like their parents and their family. Or someone like myself, where I'm coming in as an outsider to that family, I still might be guiding that child, but they learn that with me, they use the guiding techniques, except if we're in a really um, busy environment or somewhere crossing a car park or somewhere where it's dangerous, you might yep. still hold hands. Sure. But that but, early stranger danger yeah, yeah. is still important. And that appropriateness yeah. of touch and who's yeah. allowed to touch you. Yeah. And I'm... I, feel it's really important for kids to also get from a really young age that sense that they have some control over this. So if someone's holding your hand and taking you, it's actually hard to say no or to say, I don't want to do that. Whereas if they're being guided, they can let go. And then you can use that to go, okay, well, what's going on? Is there something else we need to go and do? Is there something that the child's interested in that we can then shift our focus and then use that as a good learning opportunity? Yeah. yeah and it just gives them a bit more sense of, of control, which... I think it's yes, really important. Very important. That does sound good. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine that you don't just liaise with parents, though. Are there are other service providers that you work with? Yes, absolutely. So early childhood educators are often the first people who are involved with the really young children. So ideally, we want to work in collaboration with, with educators and also um, physiotherapists, occupational therapists um, are probably the most common ones. And there, it's really around um, us all being able to work together so that if the physiotherapist is doing something, they know the sort of terminology we're talking about sure. with O&M, or we might have something where we might be wanting to introduce a cane and there might be some physical things or some things that we need to be aware of from the physiotherapist's point of view. Yep. So it's very much about that team around the child concept yes, sure. where yeah, everybody's working for the same goals and we're not all coming in as individual service providers and not really liaising yeah. with each other. I think from the O&M perspective, it's often around the language and stuff. And also so people know, you know, if that child trails along the wall a little bit, they're able to go, oh, that's great trailing and they can reinforce it. Sure. Incidentally. So yep. that, that really helps with them. Daycare mums and those yeah, sorts of people being yep. part of that team as well. Absolutely, yeah. So really any... Anyone who comes into contact with that child who's working with them or is yeah part of their daily routine, ideally we would like to have some yep. collaboration happening so at least people know what we're working on in terms of independence and also when it's safe or not safe to let that child be moving independently through space. Yep. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge with O&M is that the people sometimes get nervous about if the child particularly if they have no vision, mm -hmm. about safety of, of moving through space. But that's, that's what O&M's all about. And, and my <laughs> final question, I guess, is how, how, how do people know that it's okay for them to... When, when do you release the controls <laughs> and let them run, run wild with the other children? 
When, is there a as early as possible, really? Um, I guess it's well, it's an individual thing, really. It's um, the instant they yeah. break away, let them. Yeah, and I mean, I've worked with some kids who, from as soon as they're walking, they're just wanting to get up and about. So they might be kids who pick up a cane if they have no vision, and they're just off and yeah. running with it. And obviously, they're learning developmentally appropriate cane techniques. And other kids, it will take longer. So we really sort of. I always stress to families that it's very much an individual process and that kids will develop at different rates and different yeah. stages. And, you know, when their child is ready, they will do it. But again, if you can get those early skills in um, young, the child generally will have more confidence to want to get out and explore a bit more. Um, and I think for parents, it's really powerful to see their little one or two year old toddling down the footpath Absolutely. with a cane, they go, oh, actually they can do this. And then a lot of our work would be supporting parents to, to do that to letting go thing and, yeah, and talk to them a bit about, you know, in five years time or 10 years time, then we'll be moving out into the bigger environment. So the more they're comfortable with moving around now, the better that will be there. Concentrate on everything else. Yeah, yeah. This has been so interesting. Thank you so much for your time You're today. You're welcome. Thank you, Trudy. Thank you to Bronwyn for speaking with us today. If you have any questions regarding the topics raised in this episode, please reach out to us via our Facebook page.